0: The stagflation backdrop is one that i think is probably the the path of least resistance right now unfortunately
1: welcome to wealthion i'm wealthy on founder adam taggart and i'm trying something a little bit new today i was chatting with my good friend stephanie pomboy who many of you have seen either interviewed on this channel or stepping into guest host when i've been away and Stephanie was telling me about uh, some of the reactions that that she had to some recent data showing uh, the state of the U.S. consumer. And um, I basically just said, hey, Steph, rather than just you and I have this conversation privately, why don't we do it publicly for the and audience? So we're going to try that out here. Stephanie, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today.
0: Thanks for having me, Adam. This is always fun. It's
1: always a pleasure. And it's great <laughs> to get to have you this time, as well as Wilhelmina. I see her there in the background. Uh-huh.
0: Well, hopefully uh she won't snore throughout this entire thing. She doesn't find some of this stuff as fascinating as you and I do. So uh <laughs> let me know if I need to nudge her. <laughs> uh,
1: well, as they say, it's a dog's life if all if all if we all could have the life that she does. Um all right. Well, look, Stephanie, you were you were beginning to tell me about some of their you know relatively recent stats you were looking at. Um, and uh I don't want to put words in your mouth, but they seem to be making you. Perhaps even more concerned ab- about the future prospects for the consumer household.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess um, people may be uh, putting the pieces together on the degree to which inflation has really been the story driving spending. But I think this morning's retail sales report really underscored the point. You know, in July, we had a month with, in theory, 0% inflation, and lo and behold, you get zero growth in retail sales. And what's been going on here is that I think a lot of analysts and certainly investors have mistakenly conflated stronger headline spending and retail sales numbers with consumer strength, when in reality, all it is showing you is inflation. Um, if you've looked at retail sales adjusted for inflation, they peaked last April. Uh, which is noteworthy because at the end of March of last year is when the final stimulus check from the whole COVID extravaganza Hmm. was spent. So it's almost to the day that the stimulus stopped. You saw this complete 180 in the part of consumer uh, behavior. You also saw it reflected in consumer sentiment, which has dropped 30 points in the ensuing whatever that is, uh, 14, 15 months. Um, You've also seen, obviously, a U-turn in credit card uh, balances where people used a lot of their COVID stimulus money to pay down balances and actually were paying down balances in record fashion. We had never seen them reduce their credit card debt at that point. And now they've done a complete 180 and we've never seen them increase their credit card balances as rapidly as they have since last April. Um, and obviously, at 16.5% interest rates, you have to assume that they're not borrowing on credit cards because they really want to pay right. that kind of usurious interest rate. You know, it's it's that they really don't have any options. Um, so, I guess, you know, when I step back, I look at this morning's retail sales report um, and the data in general. And my sense is the consumer isn't nearly as strong as popularly perceived. Um, and then you've got this. Federal Reserve that is sort of singularly focused on obviously inflation, but also the labor market, which it characterizes as tight because the only number it seems to care about is the payroll report. Um, and you and I could talk about this for an hour, but it, I think people <laughs> would fall asleep. Um, the the payroll report is probably one of the least reliable statistics. You know, prone to the biggest revisions. Um, even by the BLS's own admission. I think the confidence interval is like plus or minus 120,000 per month. So, you know, the idea that they can measure these monthly changes in employment is sort of laughable to begin with. But more importantly, as relates to the Fed's posturing right now. Um, The payroll employment is the sole exception out there. It's the only employment indicator that's still signaling strength. Every other employment indicator, whether it's the household survey, unemployment claims, uh, you name it, the employment components of both the manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMIs, the regional Fed surveys, go so on and on. NFIB small business hiring plans. Every single one of those components has rolled over and mostly rolled over pretty hard. Um, and yet we've got this Fed that seems to be driving monetary policy, looking through the view mirror of payroll employment numbers. So, you know, this just seems to me to be a market that is sort of uh, mischaracterizing, let's say the uh, strength of the consumer and thinking the economy is strong enough to withstand the Fed rate hikes. Uh, And the Fed meanwhile thinks the same thing because they're looking at this lagging employment data. And it all seems to me um, to be a very perilous situation because you know, rates aren't going to go lower anytime soon, as far as I can tell. And the markets are, you know, just kind of whistling past the graveyard. That's, I'm sorry, I just spewed all that out. But uh, let me know if I should go back and expand on on any of those points.
1: Well, sure. So, so, there's a great parade of points there. Um, and and I want to springboard off of the last comment you made here. And our challenge here, Steph, is we talked about, you know, let, let's have you on and have a quick, you know, 10, 15 minute conversation. Right. You're gonna to have to control me because I'm gonna, you know, kind of wanna keep digging here with you. But your last point there about um uh, you know, the the fundamental data showing that. You know the consumer continues to to weaken and, and, and the economy in general continues to weaken, yet the market is parting on, or do you use your term there, which I think is accurate, which is sort of whistling past the graveyard here. Um, the Fed, uh, you know the, you and I can sling a lot of criticism at the Fed. Um, the, the, I, I do think they are smart enough to have realized over the past several years that they have boxed themselves into a corner. Right where they had blown this massive asset bubble, the everything bubble that you know everyone's called it, um, and uh, had had held rates for so low for so long that uh, you know as the economy still continued to slow, uh, that they were finding themselves stuck. Basically, they didn't they mm-hmm. they wouldn't have no wriggle room when the next recession hit, and so um, now that inflation is giving them the air cover too, but also really forcing them to start mm-hmm. raising rates. I do think that Powell and the rest of the Fed probably want to get raise hikes as high as they can get away with here, right? So they they want to ideally give themselves as much altitude as possible, so that they have room to to bring rates down again the next time a major recession hits. And you just said, you know, you just recanted a lot recanted a lot of data that says, hey, we may be heading towards recession here. Some people think we may already be there, even though the definition of recession seems to be changing these days. Um, but to your point about um, the the metrics that the Fed is using to, you know, influence its decisions, one um, they are retroactive, and two, you know, the the, the the when they're looking at most for the job side of their, you know, mandate to keep uh, unemployment as low or unemployment as low as possible it's a suspect number, right? You just said mm-hmm. it doesn't map to any of the other jobs numbers that we're seeing here. So where I'm going with this is the markets are rallying. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Fed, if it looks at jobs is saying, well, the job market seems still super robust. And, and Powell has been saying for months now that that his job <laughs> is basically to try to get, to cool off the jobs market, right? To to diminish, to, to manufacture the demand destruction that he's he's looking for. So as far as the Fed thinks, looking at those data points, it's probably saying, oh, well, I can, I got plenty of room to keep raising rights higher from here, right? So people that are expecting a Fed pivot or a Fed pause, do you think that they're likely to be disappointed here because the Fed is basically saying, you know, people say the Fed's going to hike until something breaks. The Fed's looking around right now and saying, I don't see anything breaking, market going up, unemployment still near record lows.
0: Well, this is the irony: is that by rallying the markets are diminishing the possibility that the pivot that's the basis of the rally actually (laughs) happens. They're basically just, they're easing where the Fed is trying to tighten and that just makes the Fed need to tighten more. Um, So I think that's certainly one interesting asset of this. Um, The other one is this whole pivot uh, narrative, I think, I'm not sure, is it a pivot or do people anticipate a pause? Because it's extremely hard for me to envision the Fed suddenly slashing interest rates like they did in 2018. And it it feels like that's what investors are anticipating right now. It's a 2018 style complete reversal. Um, I just, because I'm a nerd, um, ran a spreadsheet looking at what uh, would happen if the CPI posted zero Increases between now and year end, where would the CPI end the year on a on a year over year basis? And it would end the year at 5.4 percent if we have zero prints every single month between now and then, um, which seems to me highly unlikely. So the point is that the inflation numbers are going to take a long time to get down to anywhere mm-hmm. near the realm that the Fed should feel comfortable uh, reversing course. You know, they may pause. But do they rush to cut rates? And if they don't rush to cut rates, then the point is really moot. Um, And I think the point is moot anyway, and that is in this just almost obsessive fixation on how much more the Fed's going to raise rates, the markets have completely ignored the impact of what they've done already. And the fact is, we have never, not even during Volcker, seen an increase in the Fed funds rate of this speed and magnitude. Um, and just a um, comparison back to that 2018 infamous pivot episode, uh, it turns out that the Fed funds rate went exactly the same distance. It went from 0.25 at the beginning of the rate hike cycle, and it peaked at 2.5%. And that's exactly the path that we've covered so far today. However, in, in the lead up to the 2018 meltdown, it took the Fed three years to years. take the Fed funds rate up. It took them four months this time. So, the notion that there isn't some serious distress and dislocations that have been caused by the speed and magnitude of this increase strikes me as just wildly optimistic. And, you know, I'm really focused on the credit market because for me, that's where you're going to see the first signs of distress here. And and one thing that's happened in the last month that's been really remarkable in the face of this massive risk on rally is corporate credit ratings have made a complete 180. So you started the year with two upgrades for every one downgrade. This is all kind of wonky, but I think it matters because as you'll recall from that housing bubble bust, the ratings agencies weren't exactly on top of what was happening, you know, by the time they figured out things needed to be downgraded, <laughs> the problem was already, you know, full frontal. Right, um, it's like so, your
1: smoke alarm going off after your house has already been reduced to ashes.
0: Out. Right, exactly. So um, so in January, uh, upgrades were outpacing downgrades on a two to one ratio. In July, that flipped the other direction. So now downgrades are outpacing grades two to one. So this is really a dramatic, swift reversal. Um, it's not surprising because you gotta figure if you were a junk rated borrower and you were borrowing at 4% in December and you've got a roll paper at seven and a half, um, that's gonna be a problem, especially against a backdrop of you know, deteriorating profit margins. And we know there's over a trillion dollars in debt that is sort of termed the zombie companies, um, companies who couldn't service their debts before interest rates went up. So it's just clear to me that there have to be a lot of um, cracks forming in this credit chain that have yet to really bubble to the surface, but you're starting to see the hints around the edges. Issuance has completely evaporated this year, Um, and obviously the ratings, and we have uh, last week, Avaya um, with, you know, going to have to do uh, debt restructuring. So, you know, things are starting to turn a little sour in the credit market. And then it's just a question of how long that catches up to equities.
1: All right. Well, let, let me ask you about that, which is, um you know, Hemingway had that great quote about going broke, right? Where it mm-hmm. happens gradually and then all at once, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that tends to be the nature of sort of exponential trends. And, and oftentimes the economic crisis kind of tends to, to to arrive that way. You have one domino fall, another domino fall, and then, then a whole bunch fall real quickly as, as a result mm-hmm. of that. Um, so I, so you, you, I'm going I'm to continue our analogizing that we, we kind of like to do in these discussions. The Fed Fed policy has a lag, right? The Fed pulls a lever, and it takes a certain period of time, usually measured in quarters. You know, three, Mm. four quarters before that's really manifested in the economy. So you just said the Fed really pumped the brakes hard, right? Uh, Starting you know what uh, two quarters ago or something like that, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's while we're seeing some of the evidence of, of slowdown in the economy that you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation. The impact of a lot of that is still yet to be felt, right? Yes. And the Fed may continue hiking rates along the way, right? So there's going to be this rolling thunder in the future of the arrival of the impacts of this. You also talked about how um, historically fast the Fed has raised rates so far, right? And I've used this analogy a couple of times on this, this channel. I don't think I've mentioned it to you yet, though, which is the rate of change is really important here. And a way to understand that is, is, Stephanie, if I gave you a gallon of water and gave you a week to drink it, you'd have no problem doing that. But if I just shoved it up against your face and forced it all down your throat at once, you'd drown, right? Um, And I think that there's an apt analogy in that. And, And that's sort of what we've done, right, with these historically fast rate hikes, the impact of which hasn't really hit in full yet, right? So we may have kind of like a, a heart attack moment, you know, for the economy still ahead of us, given what's already happened to date. And, like I said, the Fed may continue hiking. So by the time the Fed may continue hiking into this heart attack moment, and then realize, oh my gosh, you know, we've totally overslowed the economy. Now we got to reverse course. Right. Um, do you do you sort of see the danger of what I've just described sort of playing out over the next couple quarters?
0: Absolutely, Um, and I've had this kind of radical thesis um, about the the path of Fed policy since I first started talking about raising rates and, you know, phooey on me because I ended up getting it wrong, but my um, idea was that just tapering their balance sheet was going to result in a significant slowdown in the economy um, because, this is really simple, and not a secret, the U.S. economy requires ever-expanding amounts of credit to go forward. So if credit creation in 2022 is the same as it was in 2021, the economy will slow. It just consumes more credit. It gets worse miles per gallon, let's say, um, over time, uh, because we pass diminishing marginal returns on each dollar, probably, I would assume, because Of each dollar, more and more is going to debt service now, you know, productive um, uses. So, anyway, that's sort of the big picture is that the economy has to get the fuel in the tank, the credit fuel in the tank. And by tapering its balance sheet, basically the Fed was siphoning that fuel. Now it's adding rate hikes on top of that. So, to me, the rate hikes, as I said earlier, you know, it doesn't really matter how much they do from here, they've already done too much in my view. I mean, they're, they're going to really um, squash growth. I happen to think we're in recession already. Um, and I do think that given the magnitude of rate hikes we've seen so far, we're headed for a repeat of a 2008 type of scenario. Um, but they're also now shrinking their balance sheet. So we've got a combination of factors. Um, and importantly as well, I guess to mention, they're not the only ones. You know This isn't unique to the US. It's not like the US is tightening and the rest of the world is pumping money into the financial markets. So the liquidity game continues. It's really a global phenomenon. So I guess my feeling is that um, as to whether or not the Fed might overdo it, I think they already have. And to your point, it's just that we haven't been hit by the two by four yet, um, but it's coming. And you know, going back to the corporate credit thing, um I just did an overlay of junk yields versus the speculative grade default rate to figure out, you know what's the lead time between interest rate increases and how long it takes for the pipeline of defaults to start to, you know for, for the defaults to come out the pipeline. And it's twelve months. Um, so the bottom in junk yields was last September, which means in the next month or so, we should start to see that default rate tick up. Um, and maybe that will, um, you know, act as a little uh, harness on this stock market rally. You know, if people actually pay attention to it, and um, don't dismiss it as isolated and contained or whatever phraseology um, we end up using this time around. But um, yeah, I mean, to answer your point, I think uh, clearly, the fed is is going to overdo it i don't i mean that that's a layup of a bet because that's what they've done every time <laughs> yeah, before yeah. so <laughs> i'm just going to go with the probabilities here
1: all right. Well, look, Stephanie, I promised you that this was going to be a quick conversation. It's already gone on longer than, than I initially sort of guaranteed you it would. Um, so I'm it, a
0: blabbermouth. What can I say? No, 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 get- no, no,
1: no. <laughs> I mean, the challenge is there's so much great material to cover here. Um, and I know folks, a lot of folks are going to scream in the comments, hey, Adam, just let her go longer. Um, <laughs> but the concept here, folks, is, you know, to bring Stephanie on when she sees macro data happening in real time that she wants to you know give some some color commentary on. If you would like to see us do more of this, as Stephanie sees data that she thinks is, is worth talking about, let us know in the comments section and we'll make this a more regular event going forward. Um, last question for you, Stephanie, before I wrap up, um, I know in past interviews that we've done, you have a lot of concerns about deflation sort of you know being the big worry here in the longer term, um, but we're likely not going to go from immediately hot inflation to immediate deflation. And um, it sounds like from what you've said, and I've certainly seen a lot of other data that supports this, that says the CPI, disinflation may be the trend going forward in terms of declining CPI, but it's highly unlikely to drop down anywhere near the Fed's target of 2% anytime soon, just for a lot of mathematical reasons and numbers of which you just mentioned. It's probably going to be a glide path measured in quarters, maybe even years You know, before we get "Quote unquote under control, e- even if at all." Um, and so it seems to me that that it, the the um, outlook that you seem to be seeing ahead of you for the next half a year, a year, even maybe is is one more of stagflation, right? Where where economic growth just craters, maybe we go into recession, but prices remain stubbornly high. Kind of the worst of best, worst of both worlds for the average consumer. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, I mean, what, what could get us from 8.5% CPI to zero or negative in a hurry would be asset bubble bust on a par with what we saw in 2008. And I think that's coming. It's just a question of when, you know, is it going to be in the next three months? Is it going to be in the next nine months? Um, I guess that's that's anyone's guess. But in the meantime, yeah, the math makes the CPI sticky. You'd have to see some real significant asset Destruction to cause a reverse wealth effect that really had the demand disruption impact that you know ultimately led you as you did in two thousand eight. You will recall, you know, the CPI was five point six percent, I think, in uh, June of two thousand seven, and a year later it was minus two one. Right. I, I mean, within twelve months you went from plus five to minus two. Um, that kind of thing is an outside the realm of possibility, but for the reasons you outlined, I think right now. Uh, The math is pretty sticky and, you know, the real fly in the ointment is the energy policy um, here, um, which is going to make that that component of inflation, which is really critical driver of what we're seeing, um, really stubborn and hard to hard to remove. So I think it's yeah, the stagflation backdrop is one that I think is probably the the path of least resistance right now, unfortunately. Um, we'll see how it plays out. And I would be happy to comment on all the data as it does.
1: <laughs> Great. Well, thanks. And look, folks, if you want more Pomboy, um, again, comment uh, below and tell us you want to see her come on here. But also she'll be speaking. She'll be one of the featured speakers along with Grant Williams at WealthyOn's uh, online fall conference next month. Uh, again, that's Saturday, September 24th. So if you can't make the live event, everyone who registers will get replay videos of that. Um, I think you folks have already heard me a couple of times, sort of run through the whole incredible faculty list, um, but Stephanie is definitely a big shining star amongst them. And if you want to learn more about that event, just go to wealthyoncom conference. And uh, if you've enjoyed this, uh, this discussion here with, with Stephanie, again, comment below, but also help support this channel and having us have her back on by liking this video, And then clicking the red subscribe button below, if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us. I hope we can have you back on and do this.
0: I would love to. Thank you so much, Adam. And apologies for Wilhelmina snoring.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now that's the best part of the discussion. Uh,
0: She had a a wild night last night, I guess. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like I said, it's a dog's life, huh? Yes. All right. Well, look, thanks so much for doing this stuff. Again, I hope we get to do it more often going forward.
0: Everybody else, thanks so much for watching.